thyself is dedicated to the exploration of the most rewarding task an individual can ever embark on, the journey to find oneself. Our intention is to investigate the universal principles that have equipped our species to seek the treasure of all treasures, self-knowledge. With your host, Daniel and Eduardo, this is the Know Thyself Podcast. Alright, welcome to the Know Thyself Podcast. I am Eduardo, I'm here with Daniel. Hello. And uh, how's it going, my man? It's going well. What about yourself? Good, man. I've, uh, you know, um, taken some time to really put all my thoughts together for this long conversation that we will have today on the importance of really um, breaking down these nine heads of the Hydra following the labor of Hercules and, you know, him in, in a very important way, conquering these nine heads as a whole. And I think that it's easy for us to think of the story and, you know, understand that he overcame the beast, but how he overcame the beast is where a lot of that gold lies and, and seeing mm -hmm. everything as one piece rather than nine individual pieces is, you know, the journey that we are all on right now, because these mm -hmm. base uh, layer desires that we were talking about that are, you know, tricky to uh, conquer and divide individually will always be something that really robs us of our energy and our potential to better ourselves on the journey. And I think that in con the continuation of this labor, we have a lot of gold to talk about in regards to identifying each head. Yeah, although each head is um, subdivided into threes. And so that's why Earlier in the previous episode, we talked about the importance of threes because it's not like we're only going to talk about each one as an individual. We'll talk about them in these categories of three and how they affect us. And so I'll go back and forth with Daniel, who's, you know, ready to go with um, breaking down each of these um, these passions and desires and essentially the things that bog us down and um and what it takes to really understand them and conquer and divide. And so a lot of these things we've already covered in the beginning of this um, podcast series as far as what it takes to transmute this energy and what it takes to really rise above, um, you know, some of these desires that I'm, that I'm mentioning. But this is great with the Hydra, I think. I think it's great that they, they do a wonderful job of, you know, subcategorizing each in a way that we can all relate to. So we'll go ahead and, and get started, man. Um, you ready? Absolutely, man. You know, and I think such the importance to remember with the story of Scorpio is the understanding that these are energies that need to find expression in the human experience. And so there's no denying these energies, but where we have free will is the octave of where we choose to express these energies. And I think that's going to be um, a key point in the story of this hero that we're looking at. And, you know, when we're looking at these desires, we're really going to be looking at, you know, cycles and patterns that are operating within us. But truly, we're looking at our shadow here. This is shadow work. Scorpio is the king of the underworld. And so it is the idea of looking within. And it's 
you know, it's kind of like comes up to that idea of like the the flamingo who puts its head in the sand with the idea that it can't see danger. So if I can't see danger, danger can't see me. But where we kind of have to look at this is the cave that we fear to enter holds the treasure that we seek. And so it's so interesting because from the outside, as a human perspective, it's so easy for us to mock the flamingo's lack of reason here as like, if I don't see the danger, the danger doesn't see me. But in reality, it's something we all do. Everything avoided internally is going to play out as a projection in the external screen of life. Everything that we do not look to discover inside gets projected into the external to really kind of grab that awareness because the universe demands you to see that you are the infinite. It demands you to see your perfection. You are created by the infinite perfection. And so it's only through the internal exploration into the parts of your psyche that allows the individual to accept their birthright of of this completeness. And we have blocked this expression of this perfection by, you know, heartbreaks, embarrassments, indoctrinations, and even the idea of accepting the idea that we are cancerous cockroaches on a dead planet. But nothing really could be further from the truth. You know, we spoke about this before. You are a twinkling, dancing, moving star who forever yearns to shine the light of creation through your being. And so, you know, we are not fixed stars in the sky. We are movable stars. And this is what the aspect of free will and our ability to adapt to these energies. These energies don't enslave us. It's more of the incorporation of them for the highest expression. And so it's going to be really interesting because as we look at Scorpio, we do meet all of these challenges, but these challenges in our life are not because God hates you. The challenges in your life are because God loves you. It is through the resistance that we learn and know the ultimate truth that we're all working to, which is that idea of I am, which is the totally embodiment of our spiritual experience. And so in this episode, we're going to be presented with these nine core energies of the human experience and speak about how our hero had to transmute them in order for the individual to truly see its divine reflection. And so these nine death and rebirths, as we kind of go through this process, are so important for all students on this path, because these nine energies must be released, but it's up to the free will of the adept to decide what level of consciousness they're they're expressed from. So death is not to be feared in Scorpio. Death is to be welcomed. And it's when we take the full responsibility of the mission of our soul and transmute these nine energies to their highest expression allows for us to die in this life to truly be reborn. And so, you know, it's through these nine human experiences that we're going to kind of go through that we really allow for us on the day that we meet our physical death and it whispers our name, that we'll be able to face it with love, peace, and grace. You know, only the person who has truly avoided living is the one who fears death. And that's what this is really asking about. It's asking for us to snap out of our automation. It's asking us to snap out of our robotic activity and truly look at the cycles and patterns and where we put this energy and how it's expressed in us. So the tools of our hero 
which is you, is required to learn humility, courage, and discrimination. And humility is the first thing we're going to kind of come through. And humility in this sense is really going to be to the ability to see our journey through the objective lens of truth and even accept all of our past shortcomings. You know, we are the judge and jury who lock our souls in the incarnation of materialism. Because of our past deeds, we yell and torment ourselves, and we continue repeated patterns, when in truth, there is always a gentle voice of the Creator who whispers, my love, try again. For, you know, for every day that beautiful sun rises, it's born anew. Well, well, so are you. This, the humility that we're going to really see is that the past is dead and the future is unwritten. And it's in this humility we're gifted the present. And in the present, we can change our cards, change our stars from being you know, a cage of oppression to the map of our liberation. And that's really what we're going to be kind of looking at with this first tool that the hero really learns in this labor is this act of humility. Awesome, man. You know, uh, first of all, I want to, and I know that the listeners can't see you, but I love that you wrote all this down. You know, I think that your thoughts are very well composed for how much there is to talk about with this. Like, I like how you're just coming at it from a very clear perspective because it's important to have that calm, uh, introduction that you're doing right now. I feel like, I feel like, you know, people don't realize how much work goes into what we talk about here. And I think the way you have broadened humility is exactly the way it should be not only presented, but also the idea of the shadow work that you're talking about and the death of the lower self. Because one thing that I think we all do that you just said very beautifully is that, you know, we are these dancing stars and the way that we face these challenges that are bestowed upon us isn't because God hates us. It's because God loves us. And I think that's like the best thing I've heard in a lot of this discussion that is going to be super, you know, not only in depth, but I feel like when I sit across from you and I want to listen to what you have to say, you know, I think it's important to take time to sort of take it all in and, 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 and basically like not have to add to anything you've already said. And I think that right there speaks to this, um, you know, when you talk about the three qualities of humility and courage and discrimination, that is one of the greatest things that you can do is just sort of like take the time to sort of listen to a perspective that um, doesn't need to have any sort of, um, I guess, added uh, noise to it. And I feel like the way you just did that, you know, really, it really just sort of speaks to like what we're about to open up right now. So that's just something I wanted to acknowledge because I feel like it's so clear how it needs to be understood. Um, but it's so much more than just talking about it. You know, it's really a direction of trying to give people, um, or ourselves that same courage. You know, we are this hero as you talked about before. And I think that, you know, people want to attack themselves rather than talk, attack the monster that's in the subconscious. And I think that that's where we kind of mess up we really mess this up by by not really taking the time to sort of understand the separation and what that death is. Um, what is something you just said right now about about death that I want to go back to? That we should welcome death. Yeah, um, right? absolutely. Yeah, you know, and that's I what think that was Scorpio awesome. ha Halloween 
the day of the dead that's that's what it's all about because again it's it's when we live an inauthentic life that we fear death but if we live authentically right. to the map of our soul we will be excited like almost like I'm going to almost annoy death to tell about everything that I did in life where he's going to be like, oh my gosh, just shut up. But I'd be like, look at this, you know, like I grew here and this was this, and this is how we're supposed to handle this. Death is supposed to be your ally. It's what keeps you going. It's what keeps us striving to know that there is an expiration date of this experience for this body. And the soul was incarnated to learn and to grow. And so the maximization of of that opportunity that we were presented to grow and to learn and to ultimately love is what we're looking to accomplish here. And so, you know, it's when we truly kind of go through the process of these spiritual deaths that we're going to talk about with these nine um, heads of the Hydra, which, you know, a direct coincidence with when we even think of the, the Tarot, the ninth card is the Hermit. And that's the wise individual that has overcome these base desires and has actually raised them up the octaves to be expressed as aspiration and inspiration. And that's what we're going to be really looking for. And so, you know, we need to get comfortable with the idea of death. Um, it's, it's guaranteed for us here in the physical. And we want to get to a spot that when it does whisper our name, we, we, you know, we approach it with love, grace, and peace. Um, and we can only do that by living an authentic life. And it's not going to be found in the material. You know, the material could be a manifestation of the beauty that's in your soul, and you can experience beauty in the manifestation, but everything beauty here is going to turn to dust. And that's what Scorpio is really asking us, is what's eternal? What's actually carrying with you? What is going to pass with you as you cross over? And that's that's our connection to unconditional love, our connection to objective truth, and that's our connection to our spiritual individuality. And, you know, as we kind of talk about these nine desires, there might be some desires that you've always already expressed from a very high octave, and then there's going to be some that you trouble to express through that. And it's kind of like a base desire repetitive pattern that kind of happens. But, you know, pushing ourselves away from the automation and really liberating ourselves to that spiritual illumination is what we're looking at um, as we kind of go through that. And I think humility was a great lesson for the hero to learn. And again, he's, you know, he's starting to believe that he is the one, just like you and I have to do, just like everybody that's listening, you know, because, you know, again, we, we sometimes externally read this story and we think of Hercules as outside of us. Well, no, Hercules is fighting these battles within you in the moments that we're in. And Scorpio reminds us about death, to not fear it. You know, that's something our culture kind of did a disservice to us. Other cultures, I think, celebrate this and understand it much deeper. But, you know, in the Western public school education that you and I were all enslaved in or bestowed upon, you know, um, we it's like the elephant in the room. You just don't even talk about it. It's just like, even though it's the only thing that we can truly guarantee. And so it's very important for us to gain a relationship and an understanding of that. And we do that by destroying old patterns and from that energy, transmuting them into new patterns for our self-unfoldment and for our character development. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more, man. I mean, I think the protection of of what is to come. I think protecting is just a 
it's just a means of borrowing a little more time because you're not going to avoid the one thing we all will face and that's physical death. And I think lessons can be, I think life could be much more enjoyable if you understood, you know, what, what and how fragile that inevitable day uh, is, you know what I mean? I, if you were to put any individual, if you put any individual in a situation where they're faced with that, they'll understand the true um, nature of what we're talking about. You know, it'd be funny if, if, if there were examples that, you know, we could walk through as children that would give us that opportunity, but we don't. And so instead we are protected from that, but I would have loved to, you know, I've always thought about it as, I've had situations like these happen to me and one of, I can make up right now as an analogy was to, if someone were to give me a bag full of gold, just full of gold bars, and they threw me in the middle of the ocean and they tied the bag to me and they said, if you can swim to the surface, then the gold is yours. All you would care about as you sink slower and slower to the depths of the ocean would be the feeling of your lungs expanding with fresh air in them, not necessarily bringing the gold to the surface. And I feel like having a drastic comparison like that is necessary for us to really appreciate what is, um, you know, where truth actually lies and what the precious, um, the preciousness of, of, of this air really represents. And I feel like, again, as you talk about this education that was bestowed upon us, they don't give us any kind of um, opportunity to express that, you know, instead they protect us from it. You know, they protect us from it long enough to when it does happen to you, you don't know what to do. And if you do know what to do, you know, it might be a little bit too late in your physical body to really enjoy more of those deep breaths that you should be uh, appreciating on the daily. And so, yeah, I think that that's something that um, I, uh, I I strongly agree with with regards to how you know we don't talk about that elephant in the room. Uh, I welcome it as much as I can. You know, it's never been about being reckless, but it's always been about getting close enough to know how precious that air is and how useless that physical wealth uh, is for the growth of of the soul. And so. Yeah, humility, man. Uh, humility is is key, especially for our hero here, you know. And and having to understand that is is key for all of us as well. So, continue on, man. Absolutely, man. Yeah, no, and you know, just on a, a personal note, to share your business, I mean, you are a Scorpio rising, Scorpio moon, and so this information about death is is very intimate and relatable to you. Um, Scorpio, especially Scorpio Rising, really anybody who has strong Scorpio placements, they they have a unique relationship with death because it's almost like they understand death even as a, a young child that it's just a transfer of energy. Um, you know, we always kind of speak about like the opposites of the zodiac. You know, like if you and I were in elementary school together, and it's probably a blessing that we weren't for our elementary school teachers because we would have gotten into shenanigans. Like at the lunch table, when I was freaking out about my pizza lunchable and the taste as a tourist and the sensations of like being able to make my own pizza and then eat it. You would like lean over to me and be like, Daniel, did you know you're going to die one day? And I would have a mouthful of Lunchable pizza and I'd be like, what? That's crazy. But like, I would be like so fascinated to like talk to you about it because of that opposite nature between Taurus Mm. and Scorpio. You know, there's, 
there's this mysticism that comes with the sign. There's an underworld that comes with the sign. It's again, it's it's the celebration of the Day of the Dead, which is one of the most beautiful holidays in Latin America. They really honor this idea of death. They really honor the idea of ancestors. And we're going to talk about all of this stuff today. And you know, we kind of looked at humility, and now we're going to kind of take a look at the what are the other lessons that our hero or what we learn on the hero's journey. Um, and that's going to be courage. And the courage that we're kind of addressing here is to, you know, accept the responsibility that the evolution of our soul starts and ends with us. It's, it's my responsibility for the evolution of my soul. It's the courage to, you know, meet your fears and to overcome these base desires. It's the courage to accept the ownership of truly the only thing you do own in this reality, which is your soul. It's the only thing you're taking with you. And that's in, in within your soul. It's it's your heart. It's your connection to this universe. It's your connection to the divine. But, you know, it's it's the courage that allows us to actually accept that and actually take responsibility for our spiritual growth. Take responsibility that everything in this moment is a result of a cycle and pattern that was established in the past. Whether we established that cycle and pattern, or it was established by other, or it was created by other people, our environment, our society, either way, we decide how we react to those. And we have to have that courage to say that I get to choose, you know, what I'm going to do to foster and nurture the growth of my soul. You know, it's, it's also the courage to admit that your life has infinite value because you are part of creation. So your life has infinite value. And this this is a courageous thing to do. It's easier to tell people that they're cockroaches. It's easier to tell people that when you turn to when you die you turn to dust. It's easier to see this beautiful mother earth planet as just a dead floating rock in the sky like we're told. But it's again, it's it's anything but the truth. You have to have the courage to really look into the mirror and admit that your life does have infinite value because the universal consciousness is evolving through you. You know, all of the angels and all of your ancestors hold their breath at the various crossroads of your life. They dance when you choose the path of love, and they practice patience as you stumble into the path of fear. But there's only one path to get us home, and that's through you. And courage is really, truly just this ability to accept your birthright that, you know, God is not in the clouds. God is in your breath. God is in the beat of your heart. God is in every aspect of your waking conscious. This process of being is your relationship to God. It's not this far-off energy of this man with a white beard who's judging us in the clouds. You know, it's as we walk and have our being, as we practice this idea of I am, we gain the courage to truly look ourselves in the mirror and understand that we are the divine, we are infinite, and we already are infinite. And it's our ability to go inside and break the barriers that block the expression of this universal consciousness energy that yearns to shine through. It yearns to shine through the star that we are. Um, but again, we're we're told that we're, you know, we're told that we're parasites. You know, we're we're always told that you know everything that's negation about us. They're always breaking us down into the parts. When really, what we're going to kind of see here through this later episode is the whole 
is always greater than the sum of its parts. And that's going to be the courage to accept that we are part of that whole and that wholeness is within us. We are not on an island. We are all on this journey together to help evolve and progress this evolution of this universal life force that's animating us and pulling us to our destiny. Well said, man. Uh, I have nothing to add to that because, I mean, that's really it. Um, there's there's nothing more to say about what courage is. I think for those who are listening, you'll know when that courage will arise in you because of how you interpret your shortcomings. And I think that that's where people fail to realize that, you know, you are not your your shortcomings. You know, you are not the nine heads of the Hydra. You know, you must gather all nine and rise them above you as the hero does. And I think that that's what it takes. I think it's exactly what you said, you know, looking yourself in the mirror and understanding how that God energy works through you and not necessarily feeling that you disappointed anybody. And I think that that's where we all walk with our heads very low is that we think that by looking down, you know, we, we are, you know, concealing this shame that we're carrying by, you know, engaging in some of these nine, um, base lover desires. And therefore we're not worthy of, you know, T- you know, t- tilting our head up and seeing someone else. But by looking at someone else, you realize that you are all part of the same uh, path that we're all necessarily going to, but we're all, you know, striving to go to, I should say. And um, yeah, I think that that's where the courage lies. I think it's, it's, I think even the word courage, you know, it's a difficult word to break down because it's simple in, in that it is felt, but it's difficult in that it's expression, you know, and how it works through you can only be by your own experience. You know, I think that that's where you kind of find people thinking that they're not courageous, but really they are. And, and mm-hmm. people are courageous in much different ways than, than we all, um, might think the definition, um, of the word, uh, uh plays out in, in our lives. And I think that that's where we need to give each other credit. That's where we need to give each other a pat on the back. And if you're not getting yourself a pat on the back, you know, um, I'll give you a pat on the back just because I know. Absolutely. You know, I know, I know what that's like. And so, um, but like I said, man, I don't want to add more yeah. to it. I think that um, where you're going right now is exactly where, you know, we're aiming to, to um, find this clarity in the definitions that I'm already reiterating here. So moving on. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. You know, and, you know, just to touch one more note on that, it's, you know, it's, it's not what happens to us. It's what we choose to become. You know, it's, it's how we react to our environment that is really going to be um, the judge of our soul of what we did to fulfill what we were destined to become, you know? And so it's this really important thing to have that courage to accept that idea that we are not defined by the external situation. We're defined by our internal character and our internal connection to objective truth and, you know, these these higher aspects of this universal love that, you know, we're touching as we get closer to Pisces and the savior of the world. And so... um so you're right. We we move to the third other um, you know lesson that Hercules is going to use in this evolution that we've seen right in front of our eyes, and that's going to be discrimination. And discrimination is something that we've we did. We addressed this in the in the first episode on Scorpio, but this is to discover the proper techniques 
used for lasting and and you know eternal wisdom the proper techniques for this the the idea that all problems of the human experience must be raised and illuminate, illuminated by the light of consciousness. And so we need to take all of these base desires and bring them up to that universal light of consciousness for it to have illumination and true guidance on how we overcome these human desires that we're going to be going through today. You know, we spoke about this last time, but no problem is solved by the same consciousness that created it. You know, discrimination really lets us know that, you know, we are the music makers. What are we going to decide to do? How do we take our problems of the human experience and rise them above the materialism? You know, because again, hell is just a divine fire trapped in material form. And we burn in this hell because we're not releasing the divine fire and we're only releasing it through materialistic ends and means. And it's a continual loop that we will get on and we just stay on that loop. And again, we always try to change the outside to change the inside, but it's not until we actually take these desires and we raise it up to that OG original generator consciousness to be able to get illumination on how we actually, you know, surpassed these resistance and these patterns that these expressions are playing out in our life and how we can utilize all of these energies that we're talking about to climb the ladder to wholeness and oneness. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly right, man. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, when we, when we listen to, to the conversations you and I have before recording, you know, and we're so eager to sort of break all this down. I think that when this labor particularly, you know, breaks down so much that, you know, we're covering here with Scorpio, this just like the uh, presiding one is our guiding, um, you know, our, 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 the guidance that is given to us. I like that they, they have re-entered the idea of discrimination, humility, and courage, because I think that before we go in and break down these, these you know, um, lower self uh, demons, if you will, that we can engage and dance with, um, you know, having this armor of these three is not only something that is beautiful to take away with for the remainder of your physical life, but also the definition of each of them and how to reincorporate them into all these space desires that we will be talking about that um you know our urges found within the ego and so i love that uh how you put all three man so thank you wonderfully it's like it's done wonderfully the way you're talking about it because again it's just enough that you know we use this information to face these these lower self demons but it's it's more when it comes through um a conversation like this you know, for someone, especially like just even for you and I as friends to be able to, um, you know, define these by our own perspective. So I think, uh, yeah, again, man, I don't want to add much to that because I think that we can go on for a long time, you know, with regards to all three of these. And, and I think that everybody who's listening right now, you can have your own definition for all three. That is humility, courage, and discrimination. But yeah, man, I love what you're saying. Yeah. Absolutely. No. And I, and I like that you brought up that idea of the demon because the demon and the angel are a thought of God, but it's what, you know, what octave of expression that thought of God is coming from. 
but it's the same it's the same source material um but it's just what expression that is and so these demons that we do fear that live inside us are angels you know begging for you know understanding and incorporation and it's this bigger aspect of us as we really go we're not trying to strangle this energy at any point it's all about the raising it up so it gets its proper expression for our ultimate goal which is making our way back home which is the goal of every spiritual exactly. student you know and so um so yeah i'm excited to kind of jump into these to these nine heads um and you know the first one that we get to is probably going to be one that we might even go into the most detail on. And, you know, in the third part of Scorpio, we're going to bring it up a lot too. Um, and that is the idea of sex. And now this is something that we've had the conversation about the universe, like the esoteric aspect of what sex represents. We're going to kind of cover right. that a little bit more today. But this is, you know, Scorpio in itself is its own subject. You know, you study astrology, like I said, you study the 12 zodiac signs. But Scorpio is this, I mean, it's it's the subject of the occult and the esoteric. It's It's the subject of what's hidden. It's the subject of what's below the surface. You know, every all the other signs look at the form. Scorpio looks at the shadow of the form, you know, and that's what we really kind of learn from with Scorpio. And we're going to really look at sex in its its deepest aspect today. And, you know, sex, and like what we've been talking about this whole time is sex is an energy. Sex is the dance of creation. The octaves of this expression are infinite. And when it's expressed consciously, it's actually the ladder to connect us to the infinite. And this is a very powerful force. It's, it's again, it's a tool for our liberation or our incarceration. You know, it can be the cause of us to soften and love, or it could be the cause of our calcification. It's the most misunderstood of the desires, I would say. Um, but not that it lacks attention. It's because it's something that we all have attention on. It's it's undeniable. Everybody has a sex drive. Everybody has this, you know, some people have it higher than others, but it's something that gets a lot of attention, even in our society. It gets attention, but it lacks conscious intention. So it gets attention. There's an awareness to it. It's celebrated in its, in its lower forms in our society, but it lacks you know, conscious intention of how we utilize that energy. We're not instructed on how we consciously, you know, intend to use this energy and direct this energy. It's more of a base, almost hedonistic celebration that we kind of find ourselves in. And there's, again, you know, when we're talking about this, we're not talking about anything in regards to like your sexual practices. We don't judge, you know, you, that's between you and God. Um, you know, it's, that's, that's your connection. But we all can agree that there's a proper way of using the means of creation. And there's going to be a proper way and an improper way that's going to kind of lead to our destruction. Um, you know, I'm it, judging it all really of you. does. <laughs> you know, because that's so funny. I mean, because like, you know, because it, it does, man, you know, it, it has the power to create life and it has the power to destroy life. You know, and the thing about this one is it's just as damaging when it's fully suppressed 
as when it's on full exposure with no conscious intention of actually what, where this energy is going. They're both exactly. damning for us. And so, you know, we really are going to be called to find that middle ground on this and kind of find this, this balance. Um, because, yeah, you know, is not a, you a know, good solution. Right, absolutely. And letting it loose and detaching it from the soul isn't going to be a good solution either, you know, and we see this and it's going to be something that we kind of talk about, like, you know, this energy can make the human, you know, a base animal desire seeking organism, or this energy can make the human a saint. Its magnitude is going to demand our attention, you know, and it does like it's it's something that's undeniable in us um and it's going to either lead to our complete spiritual fulfillment or like utter empty, emptiness you know and so it's going to be this really important thing for us to investigate because what we're really going to be asked to do is to transmute this idea of creation to its highest component you know physical science we can see the transmutation of energy everywhere so when we're looking at the energy that operates inside of us, why would it be any different? You know, we see the transmission of energy of when we eat food, it transfers into energy. We see that alchemical process that's happening to us. You know, we see how a windmill can create power by motion. It's a transmutation of energy, right? It, energy is being used in a different kind of way to create and generate something. It's a creative force. So we we would be we would not be even aligned to science to say that what happens in the external doesn't happen to us in the internal. It's it's the law of how energy operates. And so we can learn a lot about the transmutation of energy in the external and understand how we kind of do it in the internal. Um, yeah, if, and so if I can add talk, some... Yes, no, please. Oh, go, go please. ahead. Well, I was going to say no, one go, of the things ahead, that I've... My guy. One of the things I've always... Um, you know, we talk about Scorpio rising, but, you know, for me personally, sex has always been something that's very sacred. And I used to say, even when I was much younger, that the world would be completely different if we could only feel the curves rather than see the curves. And I feel like if we lived in, what I mean by that to just sort of explain that point of view is that if we all were physically blind, you know, there won't, there wouldn't be such an antagonistic and such an enticing way to have to redirect this energy in in regards to sex and i think we'd have an appreciation and have a quicker way to reaching that internal appreciation for the power and energy that this expression you know beholds and i think that one of the tricks and one of the things that we have to overcome is the fact that we are not physically blind and i think that when we see things you know it takes us a little bit longer to reinterpret the desire that we want based on what we appreciate as a visual versus the desire that actually will be felt once it is connected to a higher level of of expression. And I think that that's where there's this amazing already idea of one of the heads of the Hydra is that it's not that simple. You know, can you imagine if we all were physically blind? I mean, <laughs> you know, you would have to wait until you were so close in such proximity to a person that you could feel their breath and their heart rate before you could even judge them based on their appearance of whether or not you want to have that protruding energy involved with them. You would just only be 
uh, embracing them for what you are feeling in the physical, not what you're seeing in the physical. And I think that that's where there's always this test that we have to go through, even as children. You know what I mean? Um, it's it's sort of this this idea of of you know how to overcome that that base desire, and I think that that's one of the trickiest things. I mean, I know that you said that we talk a lot about sex as an energy in this first, but I think that that's something that we all, you know, are going to basically go through until we, we are out of that phase. And that might be very, very later in our life when we have physically aged to a point where what we see is no longer what we desire, but what we feel is, is now what we really want to, you know, um, dance with we really want to be physical with um is is what's felt by the person's soul and the, and the character of their experiences in life that has made them beautiful and i think that it's an ultimate test forever i think it's it, for, for as long i mean like i said it's until your physical body unless you've discovered this later on and you have the fortune of realizing that no matter how beautiful and no matter how enticing the physical um, may look, you know, it's a different energy when it's expressed, uh, altruistically between you and the other person, uh, across from you. You know what I'm saying? I think it's just, it's yeah. a very, um, uh, interesting thing that, you know, we have to deal with on the daily. You know what I mean? It's not something mm -hmm. that comes and goes. It's not something you, you just experience and you're like, oh, that was the younger self. It's like a woman is beautiful a man is beautiful, a person is beautiful physically for a lot of different reasons for a lot of different people. And I think that it's always going to entice you and also taunt you as to what to do with what that you appreciate when you, um, you know, can physically look at, at, at the individual and not, um, only see them for what they, what they have to physically offer. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that that's something that's very, um, you know, uh, it's it just, it's, it's a very difficult way to redirect that energy. I guess is what I'm saying is how it's presented to us in this world. And I think that's one of the trickiest things for us. And especially as we get older, um, or as we evolve as a, as a species, you know, we're all evolving slowly, but man, that is something that, you know, since the time of, you know, before we could even, um, have images you know we've been trying to recreate the physical body and the appreciation we have for this lust um is an interesting uh base desire of all the heads in the, in the hydra yeah. that we're talking about absolutely man absolutely you know and i think it's really when we view sex as this aspect of when we partake in not only creation but we become the creator and, and that's what we're really going to be trying to bring this expression up. Sex must be expressed for its obvious expression, which is creation. And I'm not just talking about children here. I'm not just talking about children. Sex can be a tool for the creation of a deeper, realer, authentic bond with your partner. Sex is a product of creation. It's creating a, a deeper bond. Sex is just the coming together of positive forces with negative forces. It's a protrudive, protruding force with a receiving force. It's just the positive and the negative. And again, we're not talking about 
the idea that sex can only be between like man and women because we've even spoke about this before like even in a you know a, a relationship of the same sexes there's still a protruding and there's a receiving force you know it's it's part of this this aspect and it's just one representation human sex is just a representation of this universal process of positive energy protruding into negative energy, a protruding force going into a housing unit. We're going to see this in all aspects of life, and we just see it in one representation in the physical dance between individuals, but we define it as the whole thing, but the esoteric significance of sex goes goes so much deeper. You know, this physical intercourse... You know, absolutely. So it's like, you know, one provides and one receives. And as one receives, one provides to that one receives. It just goes back and forth like that. And I think it's super important for people to know that that's the perspective of, you know, it doesn't matter if it's same sex or different sex. I think that it's, it's the idea of that positive negative, you know, and one, how one gives and one receives, but as one gives, it also receives. And as one receives, it also gives, I think it's, it's, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and like, as you're talking, you are the protruding force. And as I'm listening, I am the receiving force. I am the negative energy there. I'm surrendering to listen to what you're saying. And you're protruding with your external explanation. We're having sex. This is a sexual incourse between a positive and negative force. And our universe has infinite possibilities of this dance. Like, you know, an example is like, say I'm like eating a papaya. Um, And I'm like chewing on the papaya and I'm taking it into my body. Well, the papaya is the positive force that's protruding into me and I'm the housing unit. So truly like me and the papaya are are having this like sexual intercourse of a positive to negative energy. And say like as I'm eating that papaya, a seed falls out of my mouth and lands on the ground. Now, if the soil's like if the soil's fertile and it, it can find enclosement into the soil, that seed falling onto the ground is the positive force, and the ground is the negative force that receives it. And we have creation that can come out of it, which is a papaya tree, you know. But say that that seed doesn't fall onto the ground in a place that it grows and a bird comes and picks it up, well, it's the same kind of intercourse. We have the idea of the bird taking in this protruding energy, receiving it, so it can create energy from it. It's creation. And so this is all the same kind of thing that we're kind of looking at. There was protruding force and the receiving housing units of it, um, and everything that kind of comes from this. And so, you know, even when we think about the, the idea of the trivium, you know, as I think, so I feel, so I act. This is the sexual intercourse of the left side of the brain, which is analytical linear thought with the right side of the brain, which is intuitive creative functions. It's the sun and the moon that's within us. It's the temple of Solomon. It's the sex of the masculine component of consciousness with the feminine component of consciousness. And its aspect of creation is the action that comes from that. That is the, why it's called the sun. It's the father, mother, and the holy sun. It's the, it protrudes, it's the creation that kind of comes through, that shines through the light of day. And so, 
what we're really going to be looking at here is understanding that this sexual energy is the base understanding of how we create in this universe. And it's all tied to creation. And so even, you know, when we even talk about the idea of like, say somebody's practicing like retention of their fluids as a male. This is a something that people spiritually do, and there's really good benefits that can come from this. But we spoke about it in the past that like when you are going through one of these processes and you're not releasing that energy, you need to find creative release at that time so we can kind of release that desire and it doesn't stay pent up within us. You know, it's all about that kind of energy. And, you know, sex is, it's a driving force for us that can be a driving force for everything good in our life. You know, this impulse for creation can be channeled for light and expression of that dormant infiniteness that lies within us that's coiled at our feet, which is that coiled snake that we kind of talk about. You know, like even thinking about our desire to create. Well, my desire for creation of having a family one day is what's fueled my career. It's what fueled my restaurants. It's what fueled me to go to college because I knew that, or, or like get a career in something, not so much that college was that important, but I know to be able to get a partner of, you know, and to be able to meet that partner at the magnitude they are, I need to work on myself and able to get into a relationship where we can create a family. And so we can see that sex is like a driving force behind even all of the things that we do, because we're always desiring to create. And it's actually this rampant force that can actually really make us improve who we are. You know, people that go to you know, the gym to start taking care of their body to look better it's not just for the desire of, you know, more sexual intercourse. There's a deeper desire there that there's a desire of creation. And we have to make sure that we are raising ourselves to a magnitude that other people would desire to create with us. And so it leads to a lot of great things, this internal connection to creation and how we are destined to create in this reality. And again, it's creation is is what we're doing and it doesn't just have to be children it doesn't have to be the physical intercourse of sex again it's it's the positive with the negative and the manifestation that comes well said man well said and i know we can stay on the topic of sex for a very long time we can make a whole episode on just you know the misunderstood uh, process of this beautiful way of coming together with two you know energies of positive and negative but i think you've summed it up beautifully my guy so um shall we move on yeah you know and i think um too you know it's it's one of those things with like sex if we don't master it and love it from this universal understanding and treat it with unconditional love you know we become the slave to it. And I think we're seeing this in our right. culture and we're seeing this in our societies with the inability to really harness this energy in the healthiest kind of way. Because again, it's going to find expression. Um, but what are you creating from this? Are you creating a creative you know, output or is it just getting you know, wasted on your girlfriend that's on the screen that has no connection to you? You know, we, we see this and we spoke about it, you know, um, we have a serious problem with this in our culture right now. And there's, there's probably a lot of young individuals that could really be sharing a lot more creative and, you know, intellectual expression 
if they learned how to harness this energy and didn't deplete themselves of the same energy that can create life. Um, and it's all tied together. And really understanding the significance of that interplay um, is kind of the first step to dealing with this desire energy and just knowing how destructive it is when we don't have the courage to take responsibility for this God-given aspect of creation, because we do become the creators in that mode. Um, and it's the greatest responsibility and it's the greatest power. Um, but you know, again, you have to meet that power with responsibility. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's a great segue into, you know, the second of the nine and that being comfort because, you know, being comforted and finding comfort is obviously something that, you know, finds the opposite of, you know, an uphill battle and dissatisfaction and, you know, pain and suffering. And I think that, you know, we often can hide in comfort. We can hide in, in what it really provides us as far as, you know, giving us a, the ability to not have to fight for, you know, anything and having no um, real desire for the spirit to grow. And, you know, we think that maybe coming up to an uphill battle and, and having a break from that is not just a pleasurable um, idea and also a pleasurable um, dance that we will have once, you know, the battle is over, but it's not intended to be the end all be all in that moment of finding this comfort. You know, uh, I think that personally for me, I love discomfort. Uh, I've been that way since I was a child and my, my, both my mom and my dad would ask, you know, why I couldn't just relax or why I couldn't just sit still in a place of, you know, a full enjoyment. And I just personally, even right now, just coming off of my honeymoon, couldn't really take in a lot of the luxuries that allow me to sustain or to allow me to just, you know, take back and, and relax. I actually have to find a level of discomfort first in order to appreciate the comfort after. I can't just walk into any room and go, oh, this bed is so big and so comfortable. I must work hard to feel tired enough to then appreciate the sheets and the pillows and the fluff that comes with the, um, the reward from that discomfort. And I think that you know, for some people, uh, to, you know, stop talking about me personally here, but for some people, this, this base desire is something that, you know, is, is big. It's huge for some people. It's, it's a place where they find themselves stuck, you know, um, being immovable like this, you know, there's nothing you need to face. you know, you don't have to face anything. You don't have to, f you know, fear anything. You're, you're in a cocoon. You're, you're surrounded by something that, um, is devoid of struggles. And I think that that's where, you know, your spiritual uh, growth starts to diminish and will wilt and fade, as it said in the, in the lectures by Alice Bailey. And I really appreciate that, you know? Um, but yeah, man, I mean, I, I want to know what you have to say about this because, you know, I know that for some people it's different, as I just mentioned for myself personally, it's not something that I've ever had to struggle with. Um, if anything, I've only had to struggle with the fact that Sometimes I do need to just like relax and, 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 you know, take it all in, but that's just me. So. Yeah, absolutely. And just like sex, this is going to be something that we have to find a middle ground on because there's some things we need for comfort. We need food, we need water and we need shelter. You know, we don't need to live this like 
It's kind of like the story of Buddha. What was so revolutionary about Buddha's story is he kind of moved away from the aesthetic kind of approach of like starving yourself and only living on a grain of rice every day um, right. to show your dedication to the universal life force. But then at the same time, this is a construct of experience. This You are here. You chose to come here. You chose to be incarnated to evolve and to grow. This is a whetstone to sharpen your sword so you can meet the resistance of life. And, you know, it's so interesting. We kind of go back to that original comment of the the idea that, you know, God doesn't give you challenges because he hates you. God gives you challenges because he loves you. And that's what we're looking here. You know, it's easy to look over to the people who've had, you know, have had a silver golden spoon in their life all their life. But how did they grow through that? You know, because it's through discomfort. It's through when we are on rocky terrain that we appreciate the smooth sidewalk. And we need to kind of go through these experiences. And we have a culture that really supports this idea of getting lost into comfort. You know, you actually have to kind of examine yourself. Well, how about you just let Netflix, you know, why don't you just go on a Netflix binge that entire weekend and just go on a loop of watching things so you don't have to actually take the discomfort of going into your soul and actually figuring out what needs to change to bring out what you want. You know, how easy it is for us to get distracted by the you know, the loop on the YouTube of the shorts and just get pulled into social media and things like this. And so comfort is important, but to what extent? Because we need to push ourselves. We need to face the discomfortable facts about ourselves, you know, face our insecurities, face the cycles and patterns that are causing external damage to our relationships and to ourselves. And so this comfort is going to be this this really kind of unique one because it's, it's, you know, we're here to find the mystery of life. And part of that mystery of life is learning how to adapt to the struggle. And so when we soften it, it's just the same kind of way as when we, you know, put helmets, elbow pads, and knee pads on our children. Well, yeah, we're protecting them on their bike, but what happens when they leave the house and they have their first fall as an adult? Are they going to know how to handle the pain or is it going to send them in a spiral because they can't wear their elbow pads to their first date of getting denied or having somebody that doesn't you know, receive their love that they're trying to give them? How are they going to handle those, those, that resistance that we're met with? And resistance is needed in this. You know, this is, this is the idea that you know, we need to go through challenges. And it's in the times that you were uncomfortable, like you were saying, is when you grow. You know, but we don't have to, we don't have to like create this aesthetic life of having no comfort whatsoever. Like if we get back into like the end and we're meeting the creator and we're like, hey, creator, I had no comfort when I was there. Like I didn't even eat pizza. The God is going to be like, you didn't even eat pizza. Like why? Why wouldn't you do that? Like even if you were a vegan, you could have a cheeseless pizza with caramelized onions, but you'd be like, who told you not to find any kind of comfort down there? And we're like, oh, I, I guess I just thought that was the way. He's like, why would I give you pizza if I didn't want you to try it? You know, like we we self-impose a lot of these prisons on ourselves. We, we force ourselves to put ourselves sometimes and we kind of overextend this idea or we fall too far into it that we can't leave our comfort blanket. And we're almost like walking around with our baby blanket for our entire life because we need to be comforted by this. And we find comfort in a lot of external things. And, you know, we, 
even now, you know, even thinking about the idea of like how we even handle pain at this point. You know, you have the pain of a heartbreak, of losing a loved one or a romantic relationship that dissolves. Well, you go to the doctor and they prescribe you like an antidepressant. Well, your soul is calling for you to investigate why that relationship fell apart that was so dear to you. But when we put band-aids on everything, we can never get to the core of the wound. And we just keep putting different colored band-aids on top. And we just kind of walk around as bandaged individuals because we don't look at the source of what that information is telling us. You know, we just go for the remedy, but we don't actually get the antidote that's going to solve the problem. We just try to find a solution that's going to lessen the pain. Well, you know, pain is part of this experience. We put our hand in the box, you know, like what's in the box? Pain. The box is the cube. The box is this five sense reality that we find ourselves in. And it's through pain, through resistance that we actually sharpen our blade of spiritual discernment, humility, and higher understanding. Well said, man. Well said. And and I, I think one thing to add to that that I really like is that, you know, you talk about the balance and yes, in the story of the Buddha, you know, he has his own realization of that. It doesn't have to be as extreme as I believe the Sikhs, um, that he is trying to be like, um, end up, you know, encountering this sort of discipline that he realizes like, Hey, wait a minute, this isn't, this is too much of an extreme that doesn't need to be, um, dealt with that we, that we shouldn't have to, you know, um, you know, bestow onto ourselves. And I think that with discomfort, even though, you know, I said that I, I appreciate discomfort. There are definitely days that, you know, bring on the pizza, man. I mean, bring on the, the all sure. the greatness, you know, and I, and, and you can you know, feel something very spiritual about when you allow yourself, not even allow, that shouldn't even be the word I'm using right now, because that's sort of a contradiction there, but appreciate the moment of such a uh, pleasure and such an ease of comfort or such a ability of comfort to be in your life. Uh, to be appreciated, you know what I mean? Um, and, and finding that balance, you know, and it is always about that balance. But what were you going to say, man? You're, you're about to say something. Oh, no, man. I was just agreeing with you 100%. And like, I like how you brought up that idea of like, you know, you can enjoy a comfortable situation a lot more after you put the work in and the growth, you know, like sitting in a hammock after a long day of like, you know, working on your garden or doing a project or, you know, helping like educate your children, it does feel a lot better than sitting in the hammock all day, every day. You know, like we do need to do that. We do need to kind of find that idea. Like it's important that we work hard. It's important that we rest hard. And so it's that that balance that we kind of look for here, but not to rob yourselves of essential comforts that are needed. Um, in order to do on this like spiritual path, you know, like I've, I've had experiences where I haven't had shelter for an evening, you know, when you're outside sleeping outside in the cold, you're not really thinking about your spiritual aspirations in life. You're thinking like, how do I stay warm? So I don't freeze to death out here. You know what I mean? How am I going to find food? Like I'm hungry. Like you're not really thinking like, of course God is with you, but you know, there's certain comforts that we do need to get to, to allow for us to really navigate the spiritual experience a little bit deeper. And so, you know, we don't want to rob ourselves from those kind of situations, but we also don't want to make ourselves too comfortable that we don't grow. And we just maybe go through life with our charisma, but then we get to the end and we're like, but I didn't, 
I didn't learn anything. You know, that's that's what makes old people bitter. It's that it's that realization that like, oh, I made myself too comfortable or I was only going for comfort and this is my my reality that I've created here. I I'm not going with any gold to the to the next part. That alchemical gold is lacking in my count. And so um yeah, I just agree in with exactly what you said. Yeah, man. Yeah, I think I think you and I know how to do that pretty well. I think as friends, I know that you and I would have periods where we wouldn't see each other and I I can you know pretty much uh with certainty say that we were both struggling with one thing or another in our life but when we'd come together it was always cool that I'm like we were kind of like this little like uh like the, like these friends on this like super amazing little mandate I know that you and I would go out and I'm like what are you drinking and it's like oh I'm having this I'm like do you want to just get a bottle of that and you're like let's do it and then it's like I'm gonna order the bread and you're like oh yeah bring on the balsamic it was always so much more uh, enjoyable with someone like you not because you appreciated the flavors and the um, just the experience of, of having something of this pleasure and, and, um, deliciousness that we were about to embark in, but because we both knew without having to talk about it, that we might've been coming from a place that we didn't have that for a, an extended period of time. And then when we finally did, we appreciated that much more, which segues me into the next of the Hydra heads here. And that's money. You know, I know, I know that money is huge and we can talk a lot about what this physical wealth represents but you know it's intertwined with what i just said in the previous um statement about going on you know this uh this journey of of pleasures and the only way to acquire those pleasures in our society that we know of the easiest at least or the most universal is this money because i mean if you were to tell someone hey today you're going to work all day for your pizza tonight there's still some kind of dissatisfaction about the fact that you physically worked in the, say this restaurant, but tonight, like your reward is you're going to get to eat and I might give you a cot with a blanket tonight, but there's something about us that we want to see our reward in our hand in order to gain the same thing that is already going to be given to us. So it's like, I'd rather have this like middle, middle process of this physical green or coin or whatever it is that you're using as this wealth in order to buy the things that I was already going to get anyways, which would might be a pizza and a cot at the end of the night. And it's an interesting trickery that is given to you from the time you were born to realize that for you to acquire, you know, um, this, this end result you must uh, hold something that you can exchange in order to to pass on to, to the thing that was already going to be given to you anyways. Like I said, some people might not see it that way, but it, it's it's very interesting how, you know, you could live off of just what you, you know, what, what you, energy you put off into the world and it, what's given back to you for that energy. But somehow we are intertwined with this middle process. What I'm saying is like, here's a and here's b but they've created a separation and made you realize that there's a you must have b to get c when you really you could have a and b only you know what i mean so it's like you work for what you're going to get but somehow we're sort of lost in the idea of no 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 no. for me to get that i need i must see it in my hand so i have validation for the work i just put into does that make sense yeah, absolutely. You know, like when we think about money, I mean, money is just the placeholder of energy. It's a representation of energy. And, you know, whether 
you know, the, the money system is something that aligns with you or it doesn't, you know, there's, there, there is ideas that, you know, do kind of come with clarity with money over like the barter system, right? Like, so we see that money again, isn't evil in its way of pure representation. It's kind of our relationship to it and like how it's kind of formed. And again, like we don't really have real money anymore anyways. Like it's not really a basis because it just kind of gets printed through the fiat currency. But the idea that it was like a medium so that we could have like a fair understanding of the value of something because it was a little hard when we were bartering and it was just like, well, let me trade you four cows for exactly two chickens. And you're like, well, how's that equal? You know? And so it does kind of create a status point there, but that's beyond the idea of like, you know, what we're, you know, it's, it's really just this like representation of energy and it's a representation of your energy. And Money again is is needed in our cultures. It's needed for that food, water, and shelter. What is you know required for the human to be in a place to kind of continue this path of exploration of themselves. But it's you know again it's our relationship with money, and it's the limited understanding of this energy, and the identification that there's only one account that's storing your energy, which is your bank account. But the thing is, the truth is, is there's an intellectual account of your energy, of what you've created and understood and learned with your mind. There's a spiritual currency of what you created through your spiritual actions and your spiritual understanding that's always getting deposits. But the problem is, is we don't see a physical balance of this every month coming into our inbox. And so it's not real and tangible like what money has been able to be presented to us. So people don't acknowledge its true existence. But the truth is, like we spoke about in the past, you know, you could have all the money in the world, but you're not going to put pockets on your, you know, your suit when they're burying you. You don't take any of that with you. But the spiritual currency, the intellectual currency, the character, like the development of your character and the currency that comes with this this is what you're going to be used as um, a currency in the next life, in the c- continuation of your soul. And so, you know, again, money, we all need it. It's going to be something that's like important in this in this five sense reality that we find ourselves in. But it's the limiting understanding of what that currency represents and that there's other currencies. Because again, currency is just the current of the sea. It's just the flow of energy. And we have other forms of currency that we have to identify. And we have to make sure that, you know, we do collect physical currency to take care of our needs in this realm. But at the same time, we need to be making deposits in all of the other accounts, whether we get a a monthly statement or not from them. And I think the idea of, you know, the blindedness of us selling our soul for money You know, it's like that idea of like people being like, oh, you know, they just got a really good job um, as a lawyer. And you're like, oh, well, where did they get a job at? And the people, the parents are like, oh, Montesanto. And I'm like, oh, like the people that are like killing our seeds. And they're like, yeah, they're pretty uncomfortable about it. But like the pay is so good. So like, how can you deny that pay? And you hear a lot of people being like, oh, I'm a part of something evil. But how do I, how do I like? not take this paycheck. Well, it kind of comes down to well, like, well, what's the value of your soul? How does your soul feel at this place? Like, is it worth right. that sacrifice for what your bank, your physical bank account is? Because it's 
It's depleting your spiritual. It's depleting your emotional account. And this is something that we have to be really aware of to make sure that we're, you know, not just collecting and we're making sure like even what we do for physical money is aligned with our soul. So as we do work in the nine to five, we're balancing and we're depositing into other accounts at the same time. And I think that's like that really kind of raising the levels of how we kind of view money as just a currency. You know, we we don't have to get mad at the money. Um, it's part of where we kind of find ourselves. But the idea that there's other currencies is something that we have to be aware of. And, you know, the, the spiritual jewel of life, you could never put you know, you can never put money to that. You know, the idea of really like being in the moment, it's priceless. There's a lot of things in this experience that money cannot buy. You know, money can't truly buy true love. Money can't really buy inner realization. And so we're also limited with this physical currency that I don't think people want to admit. You know, they want to be like, oh no, I can buy happiness, but you truly can't. You know, it's it's never going to come through that physical means. Again, it's it's trying to find the external to satisfy the internal, um, but it, that process doesn't work that way. Yeah, no, well said, man. I, again, I know that we've talked already about the energy that is exchanged within this currency, and I think the way you put it, you know, obviously um, we've talked about before, but I think that you know uh, this urge to acquire material goods, as it's said, um, you know, isn't as important as you know, acquiring these spiritual experiences that we can take with us beyond the physical realm. And I think that that's what's, you know, obviously the most important thing to conquer over this, this base desire that is money, you know, because the power in the money is where people sort of get lost, you know, I think you wanting to acquire more of it in order to have more control over the physical world you live in is where you can kind of lose sight of the importance of why you even have, you know, or why the universe has provided you with such wealth, you know, um, giving back is always essential. And I think that's what we always, you know, um, should be striving for, you know, is to give to those who don't have enough, you know, and I feel like I always have enough. And so, you know, even to this day, sometimes I feel, you know, like there isn't enough and somehow, you know, money always finds me. And I think that it's a waste of an energy to go trying to find it uh, on a day to day, uh, every day. And I think that it's a balance that we must, you know, obviously, um, you know, work on, but it's something that's just like sex. I think it's never really going to be over. You know what I mean? I think it's always going to be an up and a down that, um, is, is sort of a, a test as, as to where we are on the journey in order to, uh, make peace with it and have enough of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I like that you brought that idea of it's, it's, you know, again, this energy never goes away. We're going to see it in new cycles and patterns, and we're going to be tested with new resistance as we grow and graduate out of an old resistant pattern. Um, and so there's always going to be a new blueprint of understanding and learning and wisdom that needs to be pulled and examined through these experiences of everything, like you just said, like the sex and the money and everything that we've kind of spoken about thus far and kind of continue to kind of investigate through these, through these nine heads of the Hydra. Absolutely. Well, you know, without uh, some of these things, you know, there, there comes something that really controls us and to segue into the next, if I may, 
um, is fear and the fear of not having enough and the fear of not being enough and the fear of not having the ability to conquer any of these is something that can also, you know, really not only hold us back, but intoxicate the soul, you know, uh, over the course of its journey here in the physical body is, you know, avoiding pain, as we talked about with comfort, um, you know, is, is all from a baseline of this fear, the fear of not having enough and the fear of what it takes to overcome uh, is something that, you know, we all have either faced or are still facing. And um, yeah, it's just something that I think it's interesting how that is something I, I really did, did believe that one of the base desires or one of the setbacks in our journey, you know, and you'll learn this as we talk about the rest of them that are coming up, were all obvious, but fear wasn't one that I thought was going to be in there as far as the nine heads uh, in the Hydra, mm. uh, sort of speak. So, um, you know, let's, let's kind of break yeah. into that. Absolutely. I mean, f- fear is the mind killer. You know, fear is what keeps us from achieving what we know to be true. Fear, the fear of self, the fear of ridicule, the fear of not being accepted, um, and even the fear of death, like we were speaking to, which is one of the things that we're overcoming through this, through this cycle and through these patterns that we find in the eighth house. And it's really the idea that Fear is going to be part of this material realm. And so to escape the fear and to understand how we can utilize this as inspiration is to raise ourselves again higher than the moment, really pulling ourselves into that light of creation, into that light of consciousness, and going to a place that material fear cannot reach. And that's as we kind of raise ourselves up spiritually. You know, it's through the idea of looking at the things that we fear that we overcome them. It's the idea of studying death to understand that energy can't be destroyed. It can only be transferred. It's the idea of, you know, afraid of what's under your bed. Well, you face that fear and you look under the bed and you're like, oh, it's just socks. That's where all my socks go. You know, it's not like there's a monster under there. We have to kind of face our fears. And fear is, you know, again, is a real thing. What we what we kind of have to do is how much are we going to let fear control us? Because again, it's right. the places that we fear to look that really hold these treasures that are inherent into us. And, you know, we kind of spoke about this last time as you know, even us being afraid of the dark collectively as a human species. Well, there's a deeper representation to that that we were speaking about. It was the idea is like, we fear darkness. Yeah, of course, there's animals we can't see as well. Um, You know, there's our illumination is dimmed. But the night represents the part of our subconscious that's dark to us. It represents the idea of the core area and the causal factors of where these negative patterns develop and are nurtured and find expression into us. And so there's a lot in ourselves that we fear that we don't want to look into. You know, sometimes we don't want to look into the the where the causal factor of our problems are. And again, we use comfort to try to put band-aids on it. But deep down inside, there's a causal factor of fear. There's something we are not looking at and we're just avoiding the situation. But again, if we internally avoid anything, it's going to be externally projected on the screen. And so if we fear the idea of our death, well, we actually pull in experiences that might, you know, make us dance with death a little bit more in an aspect of like being fearful. Um, 
you know, fearful of the unknown, feel like failure, ridicule. You know, we have really high magnitude fears and we have really low level fears. But either way, fear is a destructive force that's going to inhibit the idea of this universal energy that's operating within us. And when we, again, we get connected and truly understand and put that knowledge of being part of the universe into action as wisdom, we elevate ourselves above an area that fear can't reach. And now we've succumbed fear in so many situations. You know, when you're, you know, say a loved one or a friend is in a dangerous position, most of us just run to the aid of that person, even if it puts us into danger, because we were connected to this person with love. And so we were touching where we have a relationship with this person is an area that's higher than fear. And so we can overcome it and we can succumb it. And so we spoke about this on so many episodes, but how we overcome fear is through the act of love and through the act of universal life. And it's by tapping into that energy that we truly rise above it. And we don't let fear be a negative guiding light. You know, danger is real. Fear's a choice. And that's a really important way to look at it. There are dangerous things in this society. There's dangerous things in this world. Things want to eat us out there. There's people that don't have our best intentions who want to take advantage of us. But so danger is real. But our fear is a choice of how much we let that fear, you know, direct us and push us away from the path that we know that we need to explore. But the biggest thing we fear is the monsters that are inside. You know, we do not truly fear monsters under our bed like we do with the monsters that are inside our heads. And that's where the real beast lives. And that's the beauty that the beast needs to be uncovered and explored and pushed out. And it's the meeting the beast inside and turning it into something beautiful as a beautiful expression, as the completeness and the wholeness of the self coming through, that eternal light allowing to kind of shine through. Um, And so, you know, just like we were talking about with the litany of fear with Dune, you know, fear is the mind killer and it, it needs to be overcome and it needs to be risen above. Just like we have to rise above the material demands of the society to be able to reach our spiritual ends. You know, obviously fear is the mind killer. And I think that, you know, I've I've always used, uh, you know, the idea of fear as a means to conquer and to confront. And I like how you say, you know, that's where all my socks are. They're just underneath the bed. <laughs> because it's so true, man. We do, we fear, you know, that what we will not confront, but we can only imagine that lies underneath, you know, that bed. And I think that that's where, you know, we're pulled away from our true purpose is that our imaginations, as beautiful as they can be to create and to uh, elevate, can also, you know, really sink us down in our own um, demise of just, you know, not understanding a situation by avoiding its confrontation. Um, and, uh, and fear can be a positive thing. You know, we've talked about that as well. You know, it really allows us to, you know, understand what's precious and understand, you know, how to stand in front of danger. Um, as you were talking about, danger is real, you know, and fear is needed in order to sort of sniff out that danger and protect ourselves physically and spiritually. But yeah, man, I think that, Overall, fear is the mind killer, as we've said before. And, um, you know, the the thing that I fear the most is what we're about to move into next, which is hatred. That is the one thing that I can tell you personally is, you know, hate is something that um, 
is very real in all of us. And it's a very powerful energy that doesn't necessarily um, do anybody any good. Uh, it never has, but it is an energy nonetheless that can be transmuted and can be redirected um, because it's just an emotion that's misplaced. And, you know, there might be a lack of love or there might be a uh, lack of understanding of what has been uh, devastated from us or what's been taken from us and, you know, seeking some sort of reinforced uh or in this case, revenge, in order to refulfill that energy that's been taken from us, um, there's better ways to do it. And we all know that, you know what I mean? And so that is something that I've always feared is the ability to hate and and what people have done with that energy and um, and, and what it takes to, to get rid of it is something I think we'll always have to uh, find a discipline in, you know? So, yeah. Absolutely, man. And you know, and I really think that these two are um, very close together because they yeah. they very much represent the same thing. You know, I really think hate becomes is connected to the fear of trying to understand somebody, and so rather than fearing to look into this person to see why they operate this way or to learn about this culture. There's a fear there because it might desensitize our stability of maybe our culture. And so instead of facing exactly, that fear yeah. of exploring it, we hate, you know, and that's, that is something. And now, again, I think, I think, um, hate is something that is, um, you know, there's definitely hate in this world. I think hate, though, is something that's very, you know, propagated by like like modern media um i mean there obviously is hate there's you know all these different people of people ostracizing other people um but i think it's something that's kind of used against us and i think like i really do think collectively um as a consciousness we are moving away from this idea of hating somebody for their orientation hating them for their skin color you know hating them for their religion like i really do feel like we are making progress on that whether the media and like the indoctrination systems want to let that on. Um, I do think we are morphing more into the age of Aquarius, where we see the universal human network of people on the daily of like personal connections, you know. Um, but hate is definitely something. And, you know, the big thing with hate here is like self-hate, the idea of hating yourself, the the idea of like looking in the mirror and being despised about the person that looks back, you know, because right. again, why do we hate ourselves? Because we fear of looking in deeper, you know, we, we fear the shadow. And so we start to hate the shadow and we start to hate the self and we start to hate everything that we've been kind of created in life. And so, you know, obviously the spiritual connection of unconditional love is always going to be the solution to so many human problems. And this hate is definitely one, you know, and we've experienced hate and like we've hated things before and we've, you know, I've, I've, I've had stuff that happened to like, you know, um, like past circumstances, you know, like when my first restaurant, right. My business partner who got rabies and went crazy. Like I hated him for a long time for having spiritual rabies and like, destroying everything that we created. Um, but I had to release that hate because there was nothing that was good by there. I had to release that. I had to surrender to that, to be like, hey, that was part of his path to kind of go on that. And like, you know, although it affected me, it took me to where I needed to go. And if if that didn't get destroyed, if Sacred Pie didn't get destroyed, we wouldn't be in this spice right here 
with the Know Thyself Network and like creating this podcast and be a part of this community, which is exactly the richest, most amazing experience that I've ever been on. You know, so we're releasing hate, holding on to hate for people that have done disservice to us. Um, you know, there's a lot of individuals out here. This, you know, this is a jungle in a very much sense. There's people that love you, and there's also people that want to take advantage of you. You know, that's that's something that we have to be honest about. And we do, we try to connect networks of people that we really can connect to on a heart spiritual level. So we don't have to worry about those kind of experiences, but it's going to happen. But how we deal with the hate that we carry and when we apply it through the lens of love and bring it up to the light of creation, we can really see that, you know, that was actually needed for ourselves as well. Um, And we need to release that because Again, it's like we're holding on to rope and we're getting rope burn and we don't realize it because we're holding on to that hate so much. And so I think the process of releasing the hate and incorporating it with love, understanding, and, you know, allowing for us to see different perspectives, you know, people are allowed to have different viewpoints as you. As long as it's not hurting somebody, they're allowed to have it. You know, if somebody has a viewpoint that's causing damage and distress and hurting somebody physically with that harm, um, like actually physically, like, like, you know, like what we think about with like the, the SS with the Nazis and they were actually like murdering people, that's an idea we can't have. But if somebody has a different political idea than you, you don't have to hate them. They're allowed to have that. Everybody is on their own unique understanding and perspective of this experience. And we actually need to defend other ideas that are not like our own because it's part of the human idea and it gives us a bigger understanding of this universal consciousness and the complexity of what's operating here. Well said, man. Well said. You know, I think it, you know, we can talk about how to incorporate discipline into hatred and how to redirect what what we define as hatred and i think that you know that's something that we're going to be dealing with for the rest of our of our lives i mean i personally just went through an experience where i had to tell myself exactly what you just said you said you know people are allowed to have different perspectives and people are allowed to have experiences different than yours and you know there are times where you know for me a big big issue even when i was a child uh, all the way up until now is authenticity and i judge people based on their authenticity and i think that some people may not be aware including myself that they're not being their most authentic version of themselves because they're playing the cards of a game that's been created for them and when i was traveling through italy i saw that a lot with people so for me i romanticize a moment by the idea of what's not been created by anyone else other than god himself and the sense that not to be so extreme that if we arrived at the shore of a town that was hundreds of years old my eyes as they gazed upon the town were felt in the heart with the uh, adoration of like look what we've done look what we've created look at all these colors look at all this beauty and immediately i would have this sort of anger towards people who were just showing up and going like gelato selfie sticks you know, I'm wearing this hat that maybe I'd only wear to the Kentucky Derby so people could see that I'm not only in this beautiful place, but they can appreciate that they're not here uh, and I am and therefore I'm better than them, which has always been something that 
doesn't really resonate with me, which again, I'm not trying to say any of these stories or relatable topics to just segue into the next one, but the next one being power, that's where I would get very upset with is that people, rather than appreciating this moment in time, were just like, this is where I get to dominate others who are not here. And this is where I get to express how much better I am than you are. And I would just get so upset, but then I would stop and I'd think to myself, literally, I mean, no one told me to do this. I just did it for myself. I said, you don't know what that person is going through. You don't know how long it took that person to come on this trip. You know, you don't know what kind of shortcomings they've had prior to this trip. And you don't know why they feel the way they do in order to need to express that they're here um, in a place that you're not with their selfie stick. It's not something that's worth my energy, you know, getting fixated over and making fun of them for or being upset with. And I just, you know, need to understand that that's just their way of appreciating the same thing you're appreciating. So much that the hills of this shoreline in Italy almost spoke to me that way, where they're like, you see us in this way and they see us in this way. And it's okay both ways. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I just look at these giant mountains as a giant telling me like, I love you both equally. So love me, love them also for not that it might not be to your standards of how they're going about it, but that's okay. And immediately it all just got released and I was okay with it. You know what I mean? And if anything, I was just ruining my own time because I was so fixated on the posers, you know, on the people who are not there living authentically. But who am I to say that? You know what I mean? Like some of these people were looking lovely and I'm like, oh, wow. You picked out your outfit just for mm-hmm. today to be in this photo. And one day, not this moment for me, but one day your grandchildren or your other family members or people who know you might go, wow, you know, the colors of your dress and the hat that you were with this background just complements the entire country itself for what it brings out of you. And it's like, hey, they actually brought something to the table that I was already picking on them for, for not bringing, but they did just in a different means. And so anyways, that's just a quick little um, anecdote uh, regarding this um, this desire that I don't like that's coming next, which is the desire for power. Uh, I've never liked sure. that. I've never liked bullies. I've never liked people who feel like they need to imbalance, you know, or find a way to, to have a dominant force over another. And I think that that's something I've always wanted to be a advocate for, but I remember very at a very young age, and you might remember this, you know, when we were growing up, but I used to hate bullies so much that I became a bully at one point in time, you know, life had presented me with a lot of difficulties. And I remember just having for the first time, the ability to be a dominant force where normally I was never a dominant force and I was always the one being picked on. And so I think that the desire for power is, is in all of us. It's just the situation that, you know, presents itself like everything else in our life that will bring it out of us. And it's up to us to use that, you know, um, power for love and not the love for power, as the great Hendrix once said in his quote, um, you know, is, is understanding what the differences of those are, um, is something that is, something we should strive for, obviously. Um, and that, um, it's always going to be in our, subconscious and it's always going to be coming and going in this um five sense reality that we live in absolutely man absolutely and again 
these are really starting to blend into each other. And that's part of the process of Scorpio. Scorpio shows us how things do blend into each other. And it's going to be something we really talk about in the eighth house with the next episode. But we see this hate and this desire of power almost kind of blending together. And, you know, you bring up the idea of the bully. Well, why is the bully acting that way? Well, there's so much pain inside of them that not only were they boiling inside from the pain, but now it's spilling over into others. And you kind of talk about your experience. Like I be, you became a bully when you were faced with some really big challenges that no young man should have to face, you know, and you had to meet them. And this was kind of how that energy found expression. You became everything that you didn't want to become because you really had to see like the multifaceted aspects of life. Um, and so this desire for power, again, you know, power is an internal manifestation. It's not something we externally have. We actually have no power over anything. Everything's going to turn to sand. Everybody has their free will. It's all internal power. You know, even when it comes to the idea of like, you know, say you do like a war atrocity as a soldier and you're talking to the universal creator, and you're like, well, I pulled the trigger on those women and children because I was ordered to. The universal creator is going to look around and be like, who ordered you to do that? And it'll be like, well, this man did. He's just like, did you get the orders from like your guides? And he'd be like, no, no, it was to maintain these orders. And he'd be like, why did you put power in something outside of the universe? And why did you right. let that gain power over you? He's like, did they come over and actually squeeze your finger of the trigger? You're like, no, I squeezed the finger. And he's like, then I don't care what they told you. You took the action. The power is always lies in with you. And there's all these like, times that we like externally look for it and we blame it on external things. But truth be told, we get judged on our actions and the actions that we take, you know? Um, and this is kind of what we see with this desire for power and this desire for like, look at me moving away from the idea of like connecting and blending blending with the human network altogether. You know, when we have the desire for personal power, we lose the idea of community and cooperation and the idea of this universal consciousness because what's good for me is good for me. And that's where it comes in. This is really like almost a narcissistic behavior that kind of gets developed. And again, this is something that gets very supported today um, with through like social media. And even in the classroom, I saw aspects that were supporting the idea of harboring narcissistic ideas that's getting pushed through education, you know? And so this is, this is kind of a unique thing to kind of look at this desire of power and how it can blind us from connecting to the bigger aspects of connecting to the human network and the network of consciousness in general, you know, and we really kind of see some really disgusting display, displays of the human experience with people trying to obtain power or to maintain power. And this idea of, you know, as long as somebody can tell me what to do, as long as I can tell somebody what to do is a pyramid that needs to kind of get moved away from. And we really need to learn that power 
is only power and strength is only something that's going to be internally manifested. And it's the power to choose your own path and be the person that you need to be um, and not give that over to outside powers. Where is the generator? The generator is in with you. It's your heart. And you have to follow your heart because that's where your power comes from. And that's what we're really kind of looking at there. And so, yeah, the desire for power is... I mean, we see it by just studying human history. You know, you see it with the rises of power, you see it in through so many situations, and we see the atrocities that are coming from it, even today, you know? Um, and so it's, it's, again, all of these experiences that Hercules is dancing with by no means has been solved by the modern individual. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, it's we're still dealing with these same base desires and passions that humans are in bestowed with and the gradual rising up to them to you know create that holy expression become from the holiness that we find um this is going to be the journey for everybody as they kind of continue this this path well said man well said um yeah and and and, you know another thing that you just mentioned prior to this is the blending you know the blending is great you know the blending uh and the understanding because i think that to strangle each head of the hydra you know obviously is not the way to go about this slaying of the beast but when you start to see these heads sort of like blend blend together you start to realize that they all belong to one body and that one body is what we will need to slay in order to conquer and divide all nine and i think that you know you know we talked about power and power that preceded hatred and then what you know, comes after power is pride, you know, the, 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 the ability to actually see, you know, the fruits of your labor in a way that isn't necessarily, um, for the better of yourself, but to have affirmation that you've, you know, exercised that power and that you have dominated over individuals to a point where your energy, um, you know, the energy that you use to to dominate over all men uh, is now sort of something you carry as this like fuel, which is pride um, for for your accomplishments, but the accomplishments of doing something that really didn't have any need to be um, accomplished in the first place. You know what I mean? And I think that that's, that in itself, I think it's good to be prideful about what you... Um, you know, what, what you do as far as following an ethical guideline and following principles that you admire, you know, any of this, the things that we talk about on this podcast from here on out and from beforehand, all has to do with, you know, trying to align ourselves with the principles that we find to not only be uh, a guiding force, but also to be something that wants to be shared with others. And I think that it's good to be prideful to... um to an extent, but to use pride and to, and to, um, you know, go beyond the, the idea of, of, you know, how great you are is, is, is a way of expressing this energy in the, in the negative sense, you know, in the negative sense of, of, of what we're inclined to do as, as human beings for others, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and again, we, you know, pride is, is, it kind of falls under a lot of the same parameters that we've been talking about today. You know, we could have pride in aligning to the spiritual principles that we speak about. We can have pride in living an ethical, 
you know, loving life. We could have pride in the expansion of our heart and the understanding of the deeper experiences that we need to encounter as a human. Like we can have pride in all these things, but it's again, it's when we kind of put all of our pride in external castles that are made out of sand. Um, you know, that's just gonna they're, they're just gonna slowly dissolve. It's putting our pride in the eternal components of our soul and the creation of this this higher consciousness is going to be something that we that we can be prideful about, you know, and really kind of raising that up. And again, you know, really taking pride in the idea that I'm completing my task to assist the evolution of universal consciousness. That's the pride we want to kind of tap into. How is my right. path, my path and my, you know, destiny unfoldment helping the collective and assisting not only the future, but also healing the past? How is it raising the vibrations of my brothers and my sisters? These are the things that we want to have pride in. You know, we want to have pride in allowing people to authentically explore themselves and be able to express themselves. These are the things, you know, it's like the artist who says like, oh, I'm so creative, rather than the artist that says like, the spirit of creativity moves through me. You know, it's the idea that, like, you know, we are not the talent. We are the vessel that the talent moves through. You know, we are not the lamp. We're the light that shines through the lamp. You know, we are not this body. We are the consciousness that's aware in this body. And those are the things that we really kind of have to really start to understand and take pride into the spiritual components of this existence and really kind of move away from the physical. Now, we still can have pride in them, but we see it as a manifestation of that internal, you know, awareness that's been developed in the self. And if anything, if everything has an internal realization back to the self, we're able to kind of enjoy it in a lot more deeper sense than if it's just a, a material goal or thing that's in our environment. Well said, man. I, I think that's, that's exactly the way it should be um, broken down. Because again, it's not necessarily any of these things that we're talking about here are you know they, they are meant to be beheaded by the analogy of the hydra but they're also meant to be understood you know and i think that the way mm -hmm. you sort of describe pride is is brilliantly said only because you know again it's it's not so much about breaking it down taking it apart and feeling that you know it's something negative that we can't take you know um joy in in having an understanding of but also like having the respect for it is what what really you know has its is where it really needs to be understood and so the way you say about mm -hmm. i am the creative being the pride or rather than saying creativity runs through me that's what you know we should strive for and i think that the way you put that you know not to butcher it down uh is exactly the way i would i would agree to to have it understood so um well said, man. And, and, you know, you talked about, um, you know, the, the, the fact that Hercules, you know, the hero here, we are Hercules. We are moving through the hero, um, the hero's journey that is us. And, you know, you're starting to recognize that that sense of pride for him is, is, is no longer sort of the dominating force that, that is brought up in the story. You know, he, he, at first, I think it's easy for people to understand that this man who is a son of man, who is also the son of God has a lot of pride, but 
you know, the longer we get into the the end of this of this journey, the less you see him sort of come to um, come face to face with that pride as a means of exploiting his power. You know, he's using um, his power now from within, not from without. And I think that that's something we have to understand with pride as well. You know what I mean? Um, otherwise, you're just uh, you know moving into the next is is you're just separating. You know, you're separating yourself from, you know, dividing the idea of where this is all coming from, you know, and I think that that's something that we've used. And we talked about that with power, I think, and we talked about that with, um, you know, hatred is that you said something that I thought really resonated with me about the soldier who takes an order, but, you know, in reality, it is you who pulled the trigger. And I think that this next um, base desire of separativeness has that it has this fragmented way of thinking of of dividing you know um a moment that you know better as to how to take action and you decide to rather than connect as the above so below you just separate the two and and act as just the below you know what i mean mm-hmm. thinking that no 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 you know um i had to do this and it's like no you knew better on what you should be doing and should not be doing you allowed yourself mm-hmm. to divide a part of your soul in order to take carry on a deed that may not need to be carried on, you know? It's when we live in this idea of separateness that we allow ourselves to hate and even like hitting somebody else and causing pain to somebody. Well, we're all connected. And so like even causing pain, even dropping bombs on another country, you're dropping bombs on the human network. You're, you're dropping bombs on the ultimate family. You know, we break ourselves down by skin color, race, and society and culture, but the universal life force just sees that as like different colorings, but it's all the same family. And it's until we start to learn and start to operate as a family, we're going to feel this aspect of hatred. We're going to feel these aspects of fear with our fellow man and woman and everybody in between. These are these are the things. It's only when we can actually accept the human family as the entire story of the human consciousness that we really start to see the big picture. Um, this is the great idea that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. You know, we see the different trees in the forest, but if we're real and we go underground, they're all connected by the same roots. But when we perceive them in the forest, they look like separate trees, but they're all connected by the same roots. And humanity's the same way here. When we, The more we get connected to the whole grand picture, the better our understanding is going to be. The whole is always greater than the sum of part, its parts. Now, modern science, materialism, and atheism really likes to break everything down into its parts. It's all about dissecting. And this is why they say that the devil dissects and the God makes and God makes whole with holiness. Because the truth is, yeah, scientists can dissect a dog and take away all of its pieces and put it back together, but that dog isn't living anymore. The wholeness of the whole of its parts together is what gave it life. You can take it apart and put it back together, but it doesn't mean it has life. It was the wholeness of the whole operation. It wasn't just the parts. There was a tying thing in between. It's something that we have to realize. You know, we can separate things, but it's not until we actually put them whole that we get the grand picture. Um, And again, this is why separation and the idea of compartmentalization has been something that's pushed so much in society now. You know, why you get a degree in such a small level of learning rather than being 
uh, enlightened individual that studies many subjects. You know, they even like engineers have to become mechanical engineers. And then within that branch, they get, they have to specialize. And it's all about specialification. Well, it's to, it's to kind of get you disconnected from having a whole understanding of life. So you might be an expert in this one area of life, but that's not all life. There's health. There's, you know, there's astronomy, there's all of these other subjects. And we used to honor that. That used to be something that people would do is they would study all subjects where we're really getting pushed into this idea of what are you going to get a major in? What are you going to be a degree in? You know, it's all got this, it all has to be like this laser tunnel focused and we've lost the grand picture. And this is why people can kind of get stuck on hamster wheels until they're in their retired age and then they get done and they're like, well, yeah, I was a master at that, but... I was such a novice at everything else. And it's so important for us to get the whole picture. And, you know, not only in our careers, but in all aspects of life, getting the complete picture. That's why we study the Zodiac. It's the complete picture of the human experience. That's why we've been going through these 12 labors. It's the wholeness of what makes you human, not just looking at the parts um, in isolation. I mean, we study the parts, but it's to bring it back together in the whole. Um, And that's what we're kind of moving to, especially with this next sign of like Sagittarius. Um, And so, you know, no man and no woman is an island. That's an illusion. The separation between you and I is an illusion. This is a part of Maya. This is a part of the five sense reality that we're separate individuals. But we are all operating. The same energy that beats my heart is the same energy that beats your heart. It's the same energy of whoever the TV is telling me that supposedly my enemy is right now. Same energy that's beating their heart. It's the same life force. And that's what we get connected to. And that's the wholeness that we need to see. And that's the wholeness that we're going to really transmute through. So we stop letting this idea of, you know, having the farm animals fight against each other so the farm animals don't realize that there's no fence and they've been free the whole time and they can escape. Um, But they still keep us fighting together and they keep us fighting in between our groups and telling us how separate we are. But in reality, there's one universal life force that animates us um, and it sees us all as one because we are one. Well said, man. 100% 100% agree with what you're saying. As far, as far as the idea of separateness being an illusion, it's an illusion that also carries out the final and one of the worst, you know, base desires, and that is cruelty. And I think that cruelty, you know, can obviously be done unto, unto one another, um, but a lot of it has to do with all the eight that precede, that, that, that came before all this, I should say, um, because those ideas of, of this lower self, the shadow self, and the worst parts about the shadow self, you know, want to be defeated, and they want to be defeated in the cruelest way possible. And I think that, you know, those things are not who we are, and it's not what makes us who we are as a whole, and it's not how God or how God consciousness runs through us. And I think that this last one, in regards to its awful, uh, you know, uh, way of, of hurting others, um, and how these evil tendencies, as it said, uh, can corrode the mind are all based on the other eight that, you know, we've come across, but aren't who we are as a whole. And I think that cruelty mm. is just a way of acting upon, you know, something that we don't really want to investigate, but just want to quickly judge and determine that that's how we are and that's who we are. And therefore cruelty is what must be done unto 
you know, this lower self. And I think that that's the worst thing that we can do is to be cruel to one, not just to one another, but to people of, you know, uh, who are victims, victims. In it. And it's said in the, in the lecture of mental torture, you know, um, you know, it's, it's not something that we need to act on. And so, you know, it's not until this, this cruel monster of, of nine heads is, you know, raised above the ground that it loses its power and we we said that in the last episode on how each head just sort of wilts you know once it's above ground and once it's above us and how the hero really takes all nine as a whole and is able to overcome and put into the light what it was literally just something that was a shadow of ourselves but not truly ourselves you know and i think that that's that's something that um you know, is great with the story. By far, this is my favorite of the nine uh, so far in the labors of, of uh, or the, or sorry, the eight labors of Hercules, the nine heads of the Hydra is just something that I think is brilliantly discussed. And, and I think, um, but I, I don't want to conclude this yet. So, you know, this cruelty yeah, that the Hydra no. carries is, is important to talk about. Sure, absolutely, man. And you're right. This is, the cruelty is, is real. You know, we see cruel things happen. We read about it and it's, it's experiences that we can even see in our cultures, our communities, in our homes. Um, and one of the big things that we're going to explore on the next conversation with Scorpio is the idea of cycles and patterns. And cruelty is usually the continuation of a cycle and pattern where somebody's treated cruel and then that cycle and pattern manifest in them and they express cruelty to others. You know, I think about the, um, there was a, there was a kid that I was growing up with who, um, it was kind of violent. Um, I remember like he would do stuff to like bugs on the playground, like, like, like kill them in like really weird ways. And I was always kind of confused why he operated that way. Um, and it came out later, it was like two years later, I remember my mom telling me that um, he moved because they found out that his father was like hitting him and I think like sexually assaulting him. And so we, with this cruelty idea, we really kind of see that this is a cycle and pattern that could either be in our bloodline. It could be part of like a past life experience, if that's something that resonates with you. Or it could be something that happens, but for the most part, people are acted cruel because cruel things were done to them. And so we are all going to have cruelty that happens to us. But where we really gain this ultimate ninth head of the Hydra is it's okay if cruelty happens with me, but that cycle stops right now. I am not going to pass on the hot potato of pain and suffering. I'm going to utilize this to heal myself and to heal others. And we really see this anytime, you know, I know people are like fascinated with serial killers. And I think there's something good about that because a lot of times they go into their history and something very traumatic happened to these individuals and they didn't incorporate it properly. And it expressed in a, a way that they actually passed on that cruelty. And then there's a lot of people who have had cruelty happen to them. They've looked at it through this light of consciousness and they've become a saint through it. Some of the biggest people who have faced struggles had very big challenges in their life where cruelty was was kind of expressed onto them, but they reacted differently. And and this is a big thing with Scorpio. 
Um, you know, stopping cycles and patterns. Again, cycles and patterns of the bloodline, cycles and patterns of thought processes, cycles and patterns of habits. Like the cruelty stops with me, and I'm going to really be the manifestation of purity. And I'm really going to kind of live the life of that nine tarot card, which is the hermit, which is guided by the internal light and doesn't fall prey to the idea of taking your suffering and trying to pass it on to another um, because we can't do that. The only thing we can pass on to the others is love um, and expansion. And so I agree with you, man. This, I mean, I've been so jazzed to talk about Scorpio forever. It's a sign that is just so fascinating to me. Um, it's such a, a good thing. And, you know, I'm really excited about furthering this conversation with you as we continue this journey through the eighth labor, the eighth sign of the zodiac, and the eighth house. Absolutely, man. I think having this this greater understanding of, of what makes us who we are and what we do here on this podcast are so fitting as know thyself is, you know, always going to be something that I'm, as as you say, jazzed to talk to you about. But also it's good to explore these corners of ourselves in order to understand how we react and how we act uh, on, on, the, on the understanding of these situations, like the story of the individual that you know, might have bestowed cruelty onto those bugs because of something that must have happened to him. And I think the most important lesson here in regards more specifically to the nine heads of the Hydra is that, you know, you're you're not the Hydra, you know, and if you see individuals acting on one of the nine heads of the Hydra, it's important to not try to um, disembowel the Hydra, you know, with its own powers that creates the Hydra itself. I think that, you know, um, and in a sad example of watching an individual, you know, get beaten to death, you wonder who are those individuals who are, you know, you know, inflicting this pain on an individual on the ground. And these are all individuals who are carrying out such cruelty based on the fact that they've been told that every individual that deserves to be, you know, mistreated is the sum of these nine hydra heads. And that's further from the truth it's just the shadow side of ourselves it's the lower self mm -hmm. you know we are not all these heads uh, we are just merely small expressions of each one of them and dominating each of them individually as a whole is what will allow us to you know carry out um you know a good deed um and to see our brothers and sisters for what they really are and not what, what we've been told that they are i mean the news itself is what's constantly putting the idea that we are these beasts and these these shortcomings that um, that we all have within us, but really they're just micro parts of of a part of us that can be dominated um, with the higher self, and so that's why this you know story of Hercules, but more importantly the idea of what we're discussing with Scorpio is so important to understand, so that we can you know eradicate that and you know carry on with a higher self i think and so uh, i can't wait to continue on you know really breaking down scorpio in itself and so we got one more episode to go and i cannot wait man and, and i really appreciate the time you took to really carefully think and uh develop these ideas um in order to have a summation of of each individual hydra head if you will and you know what it really means to rise over this darkness and to rise above the darkness um you know in a positive way and to embrace this death of the lower self 
Absolutely, my man. It is such an honor to have this conversation, such an honor to have a conversation with all of the listeners who've been listening on. And yeah, big thanks, man. And like they say on that podcast, until next time. Until next time.